Okay, so uh, here we are, dear friends, after a month of break that we see each other again in the social oblet. And I'm extremely privileged today to welcome uh, Padrogin Clancy uh, in our program. Hello, Padrogin, good morning. Hello, Blessings of St. Patrick's Peace on you and everyone else looking from wherever they are around the globe. <laughs> Thank you very much yeah. indeed. And I think, yes, indeed, uh, more people than from Ireland uh, are watching us from the UK for sure, from Europe and from the States and other parts of the world indeed. So we are sending the special greetings on St. Patrick's Day. And as you probably know, that's the topic we want to talk a little bit more today. But first of all, uh, Padrogin, you are an exquisite guest here, and even though we see each other in the social orbit for the first time, uh, we work with, uh, we work together here in Dublin. Do, and yes, yes you are the uh, the parish worker, but not only you do plenty of stuff about uh, Irish heritage around Dublin as well and in the country. Yes. Can well, you say um, something about you? Okay, well, I'm very lucky to be working with the Oblates at the moment. I always wanted to be a pastor worker and mm. a couple of years ago joined the team there um, and we're in the pastoral area. I'm, I'm attached to St. Michael's Church with Father Louis McDermott, whom I enjoy working with very much. She keeps me laughing. And um, then uh, in the, the rest of the team with Father Leo and, and, and yourself and, and, and Joanne and Park, we're all together as a team. And it's a very creative time. And I've always wanted to do pastoral work. I suppose I would have felt since I was young, probably a calling into ministry. And maybe if women were allowed to be priests or deacons, I probably would have taken that path years ago. I did have the choice to go over to um, to the other to the opposition, if you like, to choice to become a, a, and I've been invited by the Protestant churches in Ireland to become mm. a, a minister. But I actually never felt that that was my home. My home and my family are the Catholic Church and all that it represents in our Irish heritage and tradition. So this is my family, even though I struggle with my family and I'd like things to be different, but this is it. Um, so uh, yeah, my personal interest since I've been very young, and I should say my birthday is on St. Patrick's Day. Yeah. So uh, I'm a year older today. And of course, so I just- Happy birthday to... for you. Thank you, yeah. Happy birthday indeed. And my name actually for people looking in um, is Porrigine. And Porrigine is actually the Irish for Patricia. Um, it means little Paddy or dear Paddy or dear Patsy, you know. Mm. So uh, it's an endearment as well, Porrigine. Um, and I was originally to be Nora Catherine after my grandmother's. But I came on St. Patrick's Day. My parents went up O'Connell Street in a taxi. Uh, <laughs> they had no car at the time. And they were behind the parade, the famous Irish St. Patrick's Day parade. And they thought I'd be born in the taxi. But they made it into the <laughs> hospital. My father left my mother at the door, as men did in those days, in the 60s. And uh, he went off to a match because there was famous right. Irish club finals on on St. Patrick's Day every year. So that's where he went. So I was born... I've always been aware of being close to St. Patrick. I suppose that's what I need to say. And in my family, we would have a tradition of being very much uh, part of the, you can see the flags are up here. That's not just for today. That's every day. We have a strong sense of patriotism. My ancestors, my mother's father was out in 1916 fighting in our revolution. I would have been reared on a diet of, mm. of our ancient heritage and our language, uh, the Gaelic language and a sense of the Irish tradition. So my own interest went very much in my uh, 20s into the whole area of, 
I remember doing uh, um, the whole area of Irish spirituality. But what triggered me was I was doing, looking at, say, Anthony DeMello and looking at Eastern traditions. And then people talk about Native American traditions. Yeah. And one day I said to myself, well, what's a value in our own tradition? What's it yeah. like giving in the Gaelic tradition? And you look at one page of the Book of Kells and you know something wonderful is going on when they're producing these amazing manuscripts. So I went back to university and I took, I originally was doing, I, um, I was originally doing history and economics and politics and I was very good at that. Mm. But I took it, I, I branched off and did early medieval Irish history and Irish folklore. And I took the journey with those subjects in order to journey into the spiritual tradition in Ireland. To look at folk memory, to look at stories, to look at what was of value and to look at the history. So not only would I have studied, say, Patrick's, his own writings, but also to look at the legend of Patrick and the same with Bridget and all the other early holy men and women of Ireland. So it's been a very rich journey. I had done quite a bit of personal growth as well. uh, And... um, I kind of combine that then with reflection, with using our own tradition as a way of entering into our own inner journey, inner outer yeah. journey. I know that it's not only about some theoretical knowledge, all right, uh, you you had a grasp in the school during the studies, but also you devoted really yourself to learning uh, about your own heritage. You spent a couple of years really also in the Aran Islands. Can yeah, you say well, something about was, it? Yeah, I was doing folklore in university and I heard that a priest He's no longer a priest. Well, you're always a priest, but he's married now. Mm. A man called Dara Malloy had set up a, a monastery with the blessing at the time of Cardinal Tomás O'Fee. He set up a little house on Arran, on Inishmore, uh, to go back to the roots of our Gaelic Celtic monasticism. And I hot-footed it out there in my 20s, mm-hmm. thinking I was going out to live this monastic life. I got out and there was a little traditional cottage with one tap. And wow. I didn't last very long. I decided the ascetic life of the ninth century wasn't for me in that way. But I loved the island. I became part of the island community. I got work there mm-hmm. helping teach Irish in a summer school. And I absorbed myself in an Irish-speaking environment. And also, it's part of the Burren landscape, the limestone landscape of Ireland. The islands are a continuation of the Burren karst limestone of County Clare. And that's my ancestors are from Clare on my father's side. And I immediately felt at home in that landscape. The light, the magnificence, yes. and the amazing. I mean, Aaron is called... The Iron Islands are off the coast of Galway and Galway Bay, you know, between mm-hmm. Clare and Galway. And, you know, they are the they are it's known as Aaron of the Saints, Arden and Ave in Irish. And it is, we know that St. Enda, who was the founding father of Irish monasticism, went out there from the east coast of Ireland, got a grant of land for his monastery, and set up a monastery there in the, the late fifth century. He's almost a contemporary with Patrick. And from there, the very famous men and women like St. Cullum Kill and others trained there and then brought the Gaelic monastic tradition into the rest of Ireland and then out across Ireland into Britain. As you know, Mm -hmm. Columba himself went up to Iona and then through Britain, Christianity spread. And then also they went into Europe. So you have the very famous names like Columbanus going into Europe, Um, you know, St. Killian, the martyr going. So you have the whole spread then of the faith. And then, of course, you have the early holy women too, some of who spent time on Arran. So uh, like St. Gubnet, for example, very much associated with Cork, but actually began her time studying on the Arran Islands. So the islands were some sort of training ground for the spiritual life. That's one thing we do know. So I suppose I went out there and I became part of the community. And then I got work because, unfortunately, I couldn't go into full-time ministry. 
uh, you know, so I got work uh, as a guide, guiding people at our famous monuments out there, particularly at Dunangasa. And then privately, I was doing pilgrimages around the island and running seminars and, you know, traveling. Mm -hmm. I traveled mm -hmm. a lot in America, in the English speaking world. I've given retreats in every retreat center in Ireland on Irish spirituality over the years or Celtic spirituality. And I've given retreats a lot in America. I've worked with the Redemptress and the Jesuits quite a bit in their retreat centers. Also, um, Australia and in Britain, and also people I've heard about you as well, I, didn't they? I was invited, well, in, in America, I was invited initially by the Catholic churches. Hmm. And then I spread out into the Episcopal churches. And then... In Australia, the Uniting Church asked me to go out, and that's the Methodists um, and the Presbyterians who were the Uniting Church. And I went out and stayed with them and, you know, went to their various yes. uh, parish churches all along there, the the coast, um, that famous drive, they called it, it, it eludes me now, but mm. outside Melbourne, um, the Great Ocean Road, I went along and did went into the various communities there. So then also the Catholic Church in Melbourne also embraced me and asked me to do stuff for them, especially the Sisters of St. Bridget, because I would be particularly uh, interested in Bridget uh, as the female patron of Ireland and in her pre-Christian ancestor as well, who's very much associated with the divine in nature and with Mother Earth and all of that we now celebrate in our common home. So I would have been doing that. I was mm. there in the late uh, 2009 in Australia. And so America, Arizona, the Redemptorist Retreat Center. So I've been all, uh, around and then also in Britain a bit. Um, it has been a great privilege. And also the most important thing, one of the most important things has been working with the people in the north of Ireland and with both communities, uh, particularly as the peace process was being developed and to be working, across, uh, you know, going up across the border and working mm. with both communities um, in places in County Down and that, like Ross Trevor, where our former president is from, you're working with the, the Church of Ireland and with the Catholic Church. Yes. Because so, these, if we must remember that the early holy men and women of Ireland, like Patrick, Bridget and Columba, they belonged to all the Christian churches on the island. There was no divide. There was no reformation when they were around. So there are common ancestors mm. and there, there are common inspirations. So there's a meeting place there for us in the Celtic tradition, you know, and in our native tradition. It is something exquisite and special about being an Irish. And especially when I'm thinking about St. Patrick, uh, it's really interesting because I don't think there is any other nation who has such a strong devotion and relationship with the Christian saint than Irish people with St. Patrick. Isn't it interesting there? It is. Well, we're very lucky that Patrick isn't just a myth. Patrick gave us his own writings from yes. the 5th century. So that's a very valuable tradition to have. And also, I suppose, you've got to remember that when Christianity came in, and he was one of the chief missionaries, he wasn't the mm. only one, but when it came in, what we did with Christianity, how we developed the monastic tradition, and what came out of that, the great books of Ireland, the great learning, I mean, and, and, and the great craft work and artwork. It was just this, as some people have said, it was the work of angels, 
you know, mm-hmm. that we literally took the Christian message, lived it, if you like, those monasteries that were built all around Ireland, from Glendalough over to Arran and, mm-hmm. you know, throughout the country, they were like building the city of God, you know. There was yes. an inspiration to live a different kind of life, a life that was based on prayer, work and study, with, with the call to prayer at the heart of it, the round tower, you know, the call to prayer yes. throughout well, the day. Then- with a so, big, big appreciation of the nature around us as well. Yeah, and obviously they were embedded in, in these... Where Ireland is an agricultural country traditionally, mm. and so obviously when the Christian message came, it came into a people that was living on the land. Now, there was already a huge sense of the divine in nature in Ireland, and we do have triplication of a lot of our deities. So, mm. so listening to the story of the Trinity would not have been difficult for the Irish people because we already had our, our the three names for Ireland, our Irish goddesses, Era Bamba Fola. We had our triplication of our deities. Most people in the world know the triple spiral at Newgrange, you know, which is very ancient. So the triplication of deities was there, the emphasis on the holism that that confers, the different aspects of the divine. If you take the earliest um, uh, prayers that we have, and we were very lucky in that the monks, when they came in then, and when they developed the monasteries, wrote down our uh, wrote, wrote wrote down this our our mythology and our stories even though they weren't christian they still recorded them which is interesting and they also then wrote a corpus of a huge amount of um gaelic and um, gaelic poetry so we have um what was a kuna meyer that great celtic scholar said to seek out and watch and love nature in its tiniest phenomenon as much as as in its grandest was given to no people so early and so fully as it was to the celt many hundreds of gaelic and welsh poems testify to this so this resonance with god in nature now if you take say saint patrick's breastplate most of us and that's attributed to Patrick. We're not sure that he would have written it. He didn't. It's not in his own uh, words, but it's it's attributed to him, and it's in the spirit of the early poems. And what does Patrick? What what is it? We, we're all used to Christ with me, Christ before me. But before we say that in the poem, in the earliest poem, there's I arise today through a mighty strength, the invocation of the Trinity, through belief in the threeness, through confession of the oneness of the Creator of creation. I arise today through the light of the sun, the strength of the moon, the splendor of fire, the swiftness of wind, the stability of earth, the firmness of rock. And it's like I arise and I infuse myself today. Like these are all translated from Old Irish. So you don't really get it when it's in English. Njertigdom in Irish means strengthen me, O O God, with the light of the sun. Strengthen Mm -hmm. me with the radiance of the moon. You know, there are better translations, maybe, to put it that way. Um, so there's that sense of we arise into creation. We don't just arise to meet one another, you know, but we, in community, we actually arise into creation and we're part of creation, you know. Um, and all, we have a poem. Uh, you'll probably be aware of this. I mean, we have a blessing for in the Irish language for every act of the day and night. So yes. like when you when you see the sun sulye war sulye na gloria dartu wearing a foil when you and you know you don't see the sun as much as you'd like to in ireland as you know now dominic <laughs> here. i know it so very, there's very a prayer well. when you do see it so sul is the irish word for the eye so the eye of the great god of the god of glory beaming down on us continuously that's mm. the greeting to the sun you know um so as i said nature is very much that appreciation of God in, na- in nature is very much part 
being of the an Celtic Irish, mind. Being an I, Irish is being an Irish is, I think, kind of uh, being a grateful and thankful soul uh, for everything. Really, what happens. And uh, I, I think that uh, also speaking about St. Patrick himself, uh, the man, uh, of course, many legends about him uh, came up later on, but his real life was very harsh. And he all, also is kind of example that uh, and, and we can identify ourselves and his way of living, which wasn't very easy for himself, wasn't it? Well, no. Well, I, I I love Pat. I mean, Confessio is quite extraordinary. Um, first of all, he's very humble, mm -hmm. and he's writing at the end of his life, and he's a bishop at that stage, and he's really right to kind of explain his mission and what drove him on, because it's clear that he didn't have a good education. His Latin is what we call vulgar Latin, and he he obviously was being criticised because because he wasn't well educated due to being enslaved in his youth, he, he's trying to explain then how come his mission was so successful and how come he was, he, and how he's justifying his mission. And what he, to, to those who would have said, oh, you, you haven't got enough education to go and educate anybody. And what I love about him is that he knows that he hasn't. And he says to us that it was the grace of God. It was the grace of God working in him. And he now realized that, realizes that when he's older, that it was the grace of God working in him that allowed him to be that, that missionary, you know, to bring the message and the gospel to the people. That it wasn't because of his great learning ability or anything. It was because of his humility, in a sense. And he handed his life over to God. The extraordinary thing is he tells us at the beginning of his confessio, that even though that he was captured from, from his homeland, and we're not sure exactly where the homeland is, most people think it's Britain, and that they were raised on the east coast of Britain by Irish uh, chieftains, probably Nile of the Nine Hostages, and they brought him back to Ireland. Yes. Some people say he was from France, we're not sure, but he did not speak Irish, that's clear from his text. So he wasn't, uh, he, he may have spoken some form of Welsh if he came from, from, from mm. the East Coast of Britain. Um, and he would not have understood. I don't understand Welsh. I understand Scots Gaelic, but not Welsh. It's a different branch of the Celtic family. So he wouldn't have understood Irish, but he learned, began to learn Irish. He, he tells us that he's out in the woods and that before uh, he's brought to a mountainside and he's there for six years, minding sheep and all. And that before that, even though he was baptized, he tells us he did not know God. And that it was only when he was caught in that dark night of the soul experience that he then turned towards God. And he tells us how he prayed continuously and that he would rise at night to pray. And he said, he says it is not him that was doing it, that the spirit was speaking through him and that the spirit was fervent in him. So in a sense, he also looks back in his life and he's telling us in his writings, God really chose him by allowing him to have that experience, chose him to go through, you know, allowed him to go through it, to come out, to then be the man that he became. Now, what's fascinating to me is he, he escapes from Ireland after six years and ends up back with his parents in Britain and they beg him not to leave. And then he's asleep one night and he has a dream. And in the dream, an angel come to comes towards him, an angel from Ireland called Victoricus, Victor, Vic Victor. And he comes comes to him and he he holds out a letter to Patrick and Patrick takes the letter and reads it. And on it is written the cry of the Irish. And in his dream, he hears the voice of the people of the West Coast of Ireland calling him, holy boy, come and walk among us again. And mm -hmm. he tells us, I was struck deeply to my heart. 
and I had to answer them. So his calling is one that has comes through his experience of God, through his day-to-day life and through his dream. And he answers that call, he tells us. So then he trains as a monk and he later goes then to Ireland when he's trained in the monastic tradition. We think he did spend time in France or Gaul, as we call it then, training in the monastic tradition and, and came into Ireland uh, and bringing the faith that way, training in the Christian tradition as well. He was baptized as a young boy, though, because his father, we know, was a presbyter or a deacon in, in uh, Romano Celtic Britain. And he tells us that. But his journey into faith, and uh, it comes really through the dark night of the soul. And what's amazing is he chooses to go back to the very place that enslaved him. Indeed. And it's written. Now, how many of us are going to do that? That's what. Th- that's the decision is. of a person who really get through their spiritual yeah. uh, journey and uh, cleaning his own desires to really serve God Himself in his yeah. life. That's and, unbelievable. And then he also is always telling us, and he uses these words again. It's translated from Latin, but he says he's a foreigner in mm. Ireland, even though he lo- he tells us he loves the Irish. And his mission is very important. And he knows he's going to die here. But he says, I would rather go back to my own people, but I won't. I won't abandon my mission. So yes. it's a huge sense of commitment. And But he nonetheless, he is the patron, if you like, Dominic, of migrants everywhere. You know, he is a migrant soul because he knows he's not at home in his own people. Mm. But nonetheless, he knows he's where he's got, he's meant to be, you know, what his calling has brought him to. Yeah. And he also champion. he's very much against slavery at every point, having been enslaved himself. And he also is a champion of women, uh, women's right to become nuns and to be in religious life. Because in early Ireland, women were all expected to get married. You were under the law of your father and your brothers, if your father was dead. And you were expected to be married in a good marriage for land and all to, you know, to another clan, another king group. And Christianity offered an alternative to women. And we read in all the lives of the early holy women that their fathers and brothers objected to them becoming sisters because they were going to lose land and all, you know, if they didn't marry. So Patrick tells us this in his own writings, that there's objections to women being nuns. And he says, I won't leave now because I would abandon those women. So he's clearly fighting, you know, working on behalf of the women that have converted as well. Mm. And uh, he tells us that thousands of people have converted through him. And again and again, he's amazed. This is the thing I love about him. He's not full of himself at all. He's amazed at the fact that this has happened at all. You know, he's amazed. And one of the things that's core, I think, is that he never compromises his own integrity. He never, he tells us, I never accepted a gift, that people would give him gifts of jewelry, because that would, they didn't have money, obviously, but gold and silver, and I never accepted them. And he says clearly, I did not want to compromise anyone to ever say, you know. He doesn't though, he doesn't take any of, uh, you know, success of his work for himself. No. He's not boasting in in himself, but rather he really gives everything to God in his life. He does, yeah. It's quite an extraordinary journey. And his, I love the fact, and it's something that I regret we don't have nowadays. He has this familiarity too with scripture. Mm. You know, it rolls off his tongue. He's not, he's not good at, at writing but nonetheless he knows his scriptures so well he's able to put in references to the psalm throughout his work you know and says like who am i lord and what is my calling that you work in me with your divine hand so that i may that i do this work on your behalf he's all the time uh, um in that sense of humility but he refers to scripture continuously um throughout his text so 
it's quite quite an extraordinary. He's really the living, very much the living example of the the mm. true missionary. You know, the true disciple of Christ. Yes. Um, yeah. You know, we are uh, slowly approaching to the end of our conversation. I would simply wish to myself that I will in future know Bible as much as you do uh, the Irish uh, heritage, history and St. Patrick himself. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, but, and we're very lucky to have him as, as the Holy Man of Ireland. Yeah. And the tr thing is, he gets a bit lost, as you know, with all the snakes and the and the shamrocks and <laughs> the drown and the shamrock. Of course, in folklore, and this is important to say this, Dominic, it is beautiful. He taught, he, he, taught, he taught us all that generosity is very important. And there are lots of legends of him going around Ireland. And if the people, when they poured him a glass of whiskey, if the woman of the house or the man of the house didn't give him the full measure, he had something to say about that. Mm. So on St. Patrick's Day, you're supposed to drink the full measure of what of the of the drop of the hard stuff, as we say, you know. So <laughs> yes. that's the, 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 the Irish always love Patrick's Day because it's a break in the fasting of Lent. You mm. see, we've got special permission to have a drink on St. Patrick's Day. So, <laughs> From himself, anyway, I suppose. So God bless everybody. Banach um, Nefele, our of our father. And God bless you, Dominic, in your missionary work here in Ireland. Thank you. And may you and all the other young men that are inspired to follow Christ be inspired by Patrick. For and we you. hope too that some more women at some stage will be allowed to join you more fully on that journey. Indeed, yeah. and for you, Padogin, as well, we really appreciate you, your, your hard work and people are delighted to have you around. Thank At you. the end, uh, maybe we could say the prayer of St. Patrick, uh, Christ be with me, if that's all right with you. Yeah, we will. Well, can I say it first in Irish, just on my own, and then we'll yes, say it together? Yes, please, will we? we will be uh, delighted. So, um, we probably have different versions, but I'll say, again, this is an extract from the actual breastplate. And the breastplate means it's the luric or lauric in Latin. You literally, you get up every day and you put on your spiritual armor, you mm. know, and yeah. that's your breastplate, if you like. So in Irish, it would have been written in Irish, Christ Lom, Christ Rome, Christ Emoia, Christos Mekion, Christ Fuum, Christ Ermolov Yesh, Christ Ermolov Clay, August Christ Onum. Okay. So Christ with me, Christ before me, Christ on my right, Christ on my left, Christ behind me, Christ above me, Christ below me, and Christ in me. Christ in the heart of everyone who thinks of me, Christ in the eye of everyone who sees me, Christ in the ear of everyone who hears me, Christ ever be. Amen. Amen. St. Patrick, pray for us. We always say this in Irish, uh, Dominic, in, in the Irish language. May we all have life and be fully living this time next year. Amen. Amen. Please and God. And the answer is Amen. Yes, Lord. Please God. Yes. All the best for you, Padre again. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, see you for next time in the social outlet. Thank you very much for your precious time. God bless. Time. Thank you for God the bless. Happy St. Patrick's Day. Bye. Same to you. God bless. Father Dominic here. Thank you for listening to the Social Oblets. 
If you enjoyed our conversation, subscribe to our channel, which you can find on YouTube and Spotify.